and we're at episode 92 of the Cherokee Rewind. We thank you so much for hanging out with us here. And we're going to go, uh, oh gosh, not too far back, uh, probably about not quite a decade and a half. Um, okay, maybe, uh, right in that neighborhood. But we're going to say hi to a guy who, uh, if I'm not mistaken, uh, by the way, his name is Alex Wall. And well, I call him Wally. That's just that's the way it was back then. So, but uh, so if you hear me refer to him as such, that's why. Anyway, uh, Alex, welcome. First of all, thanks for doing this episode. I really appreciate it. Yeah, Mick, I'm so happy to be here. I have a lot of feelings about my Cherokee days. I'd say 90% of them are great, and I'm just so excited to, that we can have a chance to talk about them. Hey, no question. Uh, now, one of the things I do with each player. I try to remember now, mind you, I did 20 years with the Cherokee. You know, I, I tell people the reason I retired was because I aged out at 20, uh, but doing 20 years, play <laughs> and, um, but you got 20 years worth of names, you know, and they all run together with the years and stuff. But one of the things I try to do is I try to remember the number you wore when you played in Toledo. And I'm trying to think because you were a defenseman, weren't you? Uh, I I was a defenseman when I came back with Motor City, but when I played for Toledo, I was a forward uh, playing wing. Okay. I took the number of a yeah. fan favorite who okay. I gonna, won't say. I'm gonna guess here. I'll guess right now. Was it? It was. Was it 26 or was it 28? It was 26, Austin Seipel's old number, who yep. eventually came back to the team. Yep, Sipes. So, uh, yeah. Yeah, I remember Sipes real well. Um, it's funny you say that because I I see, I would see Austin every once in a while at work because he worked in the same organization that I did. And I we, you know, we would chit-chat a little bit. And I remember one time, this is a while back, but one time we were talking about him playing hockey and he was telling some of his coworkers at his in his department that were at the desk sitting at the desk he was at they were he was telling them you know yeah i used to play hockey blah 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 well it just so happened when i went home that night that i found an old cherokee program and he was on the cover and so you know talk about a favorite oh yeah. and he was a mommy guy mommy native and so i i took it into him and i said here with my mm -hmm. compliments and he's like oh my god are you kidding me you know, he couldn't believe it because he didn't even have it. And so I gave him, I gave him, the, I gave him the program and stuff. And it, it was all the people around him had to go, oh, my God, you still look the same. You're so cute. And all this other stuff. And he just <laughs> rolling his eyes. But, yeah, that, that, that's Sipes <laughs> for you, man. And I want to talk a couple of things with him late about him later that you remember from a certain little scrap, a little tete-a-tete -tete, uh, that Toledo had with uh, – that team over in Iowa, uh, but um, we'll get into that here just a little <laughs> bit. But first off, I want to talk now. Were you are you were a guy from around the Detroit area, weren't you? So I, I grew up uh, just outside of Toledo, actually in Monroe. I was born in Toledo and uh, then spent most of my childhood and adolescence in Monroe, Michigan. Gotcha. Okay, so uh, we split the difference halfway in between. But uh, yeah. but uh, so what I mean, were you an ice hawk growing up uh, playing in that program there? I was. Yeah. So I my first uh, days on the on the ice were mostly in Ann Arbor. I was playing in like, I guess, the equivalent of a, the Timbits kind of program mm -hmm. and uh, uh, 
got my startup in Ann Arbor and then eventually Monroe opened a rink and I stayed with the Ice Hawks for a while. I played a lot of house hockey and then I started to get like, I don't know, I just grew a lot faster than a lot of the other kids in my area. So by that alone, I just started to dominate like the local house leagues and then it kind of took it from there. Now, uh, what got you interested in hockey? I mean, being a uh, being a guy from the Toledo Monroe area right here, just on the state line, uh, what I mean was there someone that did uh, got you interested in the game? How old were you when you put on a pair of skates? You know, I think I was five or six, and this was right around the time the Red Wings were just really starting to dominate. Ninety five, they lost to the Devils in the finals. 96, 97, they won the cup. So I think my mom was just really interested in the game of hockey and and had been a Red Wings fan her whole life and just wanted me to, to give it a shot. So she put me on skates. No one else in my family had ever played before. And um, they were my parents were extremely supportive and were all about the 6 a.m. Saturday practices. Uh, so, I mean, I didn't know any better and I got to sleep in the car, <laughs> but yeah, so I would, I credit my mom totally. Now, when you play, I mean, did the, my, did, you were probably in that age group where it, they, it started to not be so much of an impact, but, uh, mighty ducks movies, did they, did you grow up watching those or? I did, and I think that uh, I mean I love them, and I love <laughs> I love the TV show that just came out too. But um, you know, obviously, you have to like, as somebody who's really in, into hockey, you have to watch it, knowing that it's totally an embellishment of what the game's really like. But those movies definitely had an impact on me as a kid, and they made it seem like going to the next level was attainable. You know going to the Goodwill games, which I don't even know if that's really like a thing. No, um, no, no, that, 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 died. that was when back when things got real political and people weren't going to the Olympics because of where they were being held. So I think it was Ted Turner who used to own uh, CNN and TBS and that all that net, uh, group of networks, uh, TNT. Uh, he put together, the, and him and somebody else put together the Goodwill games. And where mm. there was guy people that weren't going to the Olympics, that's where how it started. Now it kind of kind of took on a life of its own after that, but they don't even have it anymore, so it didn't last very right. Long. That makes sense. But you know, thinking about that, watching those kids, they were just these scrubby kids from Minnesota who started off as not very good hockey players. I watched those movies as a little kid and thought, dude, I could totally see myself getting to that level. And, you know, obviously every kid thinks they're going to go pro, but I, I would say those movies kind of did it for me. Yeah. So now, um, were you always a forward uh, growing up or did you spend any time on D? I, I mostly played forward. Uh, I love to hit. I love to forecheck. Um, I didn't score a lot, but I, I just loved the, the grittier side of the game. and. Um, and you know, when you're bigger than everybody growing up, it's, it's a lot easier, but then, you know, you get to juniors and I was, I think I was the second smallest guy on the team other than Mark Farrell. Yeah. Uh, things change, things changed a lot. Yeah, I bet it did. We'll get to that in a little bit, especially with that guy. <laughs> <clears throat> anyway. Um, so 
you grew up uh, and now how, how old were you when you uh, transitioned from Ann Arbor over to Monroe? I was probably nine or 10 years old. Um, I was, you know, still pretty young uh, and it was just a lot closer to home. So it was so easy for us to just, you know, head over 15 minutes away to the rink. It was, it was kind of a game changer for us or us being my family. Yeah, I understand. Um, now who was your coach back then? Do you remember? Uh, um, yeah, uh, gosh. Um, well, I had these guys in Ann Arbor that I think really helped me fall in love with the the game of hockey and they were the the upton brothers uh their dad played for u of m back in the 40s or 50s he was old school and these guys i can't even remember their first names i just remember their last name is upton and they made hockey so fun and it was uh it was such a pivotal time for me because you know coaches can be really tough and uh, they just really focused on enjoying the game and, and development. And I think they really helped me fall in love with the sport. And I actually have – talking about them now makes me really want to reach out and just thank those guys. But I don't, I don't know how to find them. I'll have to do some research. Okay. Uh, but then in Monroe, I had a coach. Uh, I think his first name was Bob. God, I don't know why. But I know his last name was Marshall. And he, he was a tough guy. Um, and I actually ended up quitting his team to go play for a different rival travel team at some point and kind of burned that bridge. But uh, he was a good coach while I had him. And I drawn a blank on his first name for some reason. Okay. So, but uh, now, when, what what was the name of the team that you played for when you left? I went to this team called AFI. And my coach's name was Dan Vasquez. And he uh, he ended up being a big part of the Motor City Chiefs organization. And uh, but he he yeah, he recruited me. He saw me play one time when when my Monroe Ice Hawks team played against AFI. They beat the heck out of Monroe. And but he liked how I played and I had some friends on that team and I, I thought that I'd probably get exposed to a lot more stuff joining that team. So I just resigned from Monroe, uh, which in hindsight, I kind of feel bad about, but um, it was like mid-season. And then I went to this team called AFI up in the Downriver Detroit area, and we went to all kinds of tournaments. We had some guys that were so skilled. Um, people just, I was exposed to so much more hockey-wise, life-wise. And uh, Dan, Dan, I think, was maybe one of the most important coaches of my life, other than the Uptons. Um, and he recently passed away from COVID, but uh, he was just one of those guys that really gave me a shot and, um, uh, you know, never regretted it. And, you know, it was all, always so respectful. And I wish I could have thanked him, but, um, you know, alas, it's been a crazy year. And well, sadly, sure we lost him. There. I'm sure he's up there and he knows you're, you're grateful. So, um, you know, I, you, you know, you were talking about some of this stuff as far as, uh, you know, going to downriver um did it was it easier to i mean as far as the schedule goes how hard did that impact you as far as like you know i mean most kids at your age or during that time with that uh, time frame of age uh, you know usually you have to think about things like you know uh, homework school getting it all done and stuff you i mean how many kids like i'm sure you probably did it yourself 
that had to do homework on the in the car or you know things like that uh, because of traveling to tournaments how t- talk about how in, uh, the the challenge of schoolwork versus you know tournaments because we all will take tournaments over schoolwork any day but the idea that you have to get this stuff done before you go into the classroom on Monday morning yeah i um <sighs> School is tough. I, I loved school and I was pretty good at it without putting any effort into it. And I would say that my hockey career was the same to an extent, to a certain point. Like I didn't go to the weight room. I didn't do a lot of studying. I just was good at it. And so with my schoolwork, I, I hated doing it in the car. So I would just stay up really late after practice. And you know, at that age, uh, like you start, you turn to, into a teenager, you're playing in a more advanced team. Um, you're getting the later practices. Your practices are at like nine o'clock, ten o'clock on a weeknight, and uh, and especially in the you know the Metro Detroit area, there's just such a high demand for ice time. So, yeah, you're getting late practices. You're getting home late from practice or from your games, and then if you didn't do your homework before practice, you're going to be up until like one or two in the morning studying. So I was sleeping a lot during my classes in school. <laughs> um, not intentionally, but I, you know, I was nodding off all the time. <laughs> that's uh, don't worry. That's something that you probably shared with about maybe 70% of everybody else in class. Uh, and let's put it this way. If they <laughs> offered it as like a, I could have gotten my doctorate in sleeping during class. Uh, but uh, <laughs> that's just uh, that's just another story for another time. Anyway, um, so now, when did you uh, when did you uh, start playing more uh, travel hockey? As far as uh, getting more committed into that, you know, I, I think my first big travel season was the was that year twelve. I was twelve or thirteen. Um, Bantams, I think, and I was playing for the Ice Hawks, like I mentioned, and then I went to that AFI team, and it was a Bantam AA team, uh, and they were, they played as if they were a AAA team. We played AAA tournaments, we scrimmaged like Little Caesars, Compuware, all these squads, um, put up a good fight. I mean, we didn't ever beat them really, but um, the games were competitive, and we trained and played as if we were a triple a organization just with a double a budget and it was that was i think when i started to become a lot more serious about hockey um you know schedule commitments um all that stuff it just it turned up to a whole other level after joining that squad now um did you play at that point did you play any other sports besides hockey uh, I played a little soccer as a little kid. I played football uh, in sixth and eighth grade, and I did a little bit of track. But I was mostly focused on hockey. And I know, I know now I'm a, I'm a coach here in New York City, um, and I know that USA Hockey is huge on kids being multi-sport athletes up until they're you know older teenagers to just to kind of get exposed to different things. But I had no interest in anything other than hockey. Who was the, I mean, being from this area, were you primarily a Wings fan or Detroit Red Wings fan? Oh, yeah, big time. Huge Wings fan, a huge Michigan hockey fan. 
Uh, I grew up idolizing all those guys. And I think more than wanting to be a pro, I really, more than anything, wanted to play for the University of Michigan. Um, I just wanted to play for Red Berenson. I wanted to play at Yost Ice Arena. I wanted to wear the maize and blue. And, you know, none of those things ever happened. But in my head as a kid, it sounded so sick. And uh, that was that was always my goal, more than like making the big bucks in the NHL. Now, who are the, some of the players that you grew up being uh... – being a big fan of oh man um you know i loved stevie y steve eiserman um loved sergey fedorov uh i think my favorite player of all time was jack johnson uh you know big michigan hockey guy he didn't have the best nhl career but in college i don't think i've ever seen anyone so electric or, or so fun to watch so so that was a guy i always looked up to um yeah, I don't know. I guess all the heavy hitters, though. Stevie Y, Sergey, Brendan Shanahan, um, you know, all the big Red Wings. Yeah, I was reading a, 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 on social media, I was reading a story about Brendan Shanahan. When he was 14 years old, he met his one of his heroes, uh, Rick Vive of the Toronto Maple Leafs, and he tried to get his autograph. And he got, basically, Vive just said, get out of here, kid, you bother me. And four years later, Shanahan <laughs> gets gets uh, gets to play in the NHL, gets drafted and plays in the NHL, and gets uh, the first time they play the Maple Leafs, he gets into a fight with Rick Vive and beats a snot out of him. You know, so <laughs> it's funny. Oh wow! You know, so funny. that's so that's so satisfying. I I I guess they say don't meet your heroes. Uh, but if you do, I guess you'll end up beating the heck out of them four years later. Yeah, apparently that's the that's the lesson to be learned. But um, now, when you so when you had to make that decision as far as uh, whether you wanted to go and play at a higher level, whether it was AAA or maybe trying high school, staying home and playing high school, what what route did you? You know, the, I kind of had my decision made for me because my high school didn't have a team, and there wasn't really a team in my um, in my town uh, until my senior year. There was a private school where I lived. The hockey wasn't very good, and um, actually, I don't want to say it was bad. Like I think a couple ex Cherokee players played there. Uh, Adam Pagula, I know he did an episode with you. He played for SMCC. Um, I just wasn't interested in, in going to the private school. So uh, I thought my only option was to just stick with travel. And so that's kind of what I did until um, till I was 16 when I joined the Cherokee. Okay. So now who did you play for? Uh, was, uh, it was it AAA or AA? When, uh... I, so that team, AFI, that AA team I was mm -hmm. playing for, they turned into an independent AAA team called the Detroit Trackers. And we had these wild black and silver camouflage jerseys. And our, our helmets and our gloves and our pants were all silver. It, they looked really, we were pretty ridiculous looking, but uh, had a lot of good players. There's a lot of the guys from AFI um, just playing on a AAA team. And, you know, we had more formal competitions against those teams like Little Caesars and Beltire. Uh, we did one time beat Compuware, which was maybe the most exciting when I've ever been a part of. Um, and then we got whooped by them in States. So, wow. you know, it didn't really matter. Paybacks, paybacks. <laughs> yeah. But uh, so now 
what uh, <laughs> were you trying out at different camps and stuff uh, as a 16 year old? Uh, did you find, I mean, were you recruited? Uh, how, what was it that eventually led you to coming to Toledo? So I played for two, played for the Detroit trackers for two seasons. And then I ended up at this tournament in Chicago called EHK yeah. is a showcase and uh, a couple guys from the Cherokee were there, um, and I, I'm drawing a blank on the name, but it was I think he was the GM when I played uh, for the Cherokee. Is that um, Tom Higgins, maybe? Um, it wasn't Tom Higgins. Tom was definitely involved, um, it w but it was uh, it wasn't Tom. No, I think Mike Robertson. Um, if you lab. if you said his name. It might have been Mike Robertson. I don't know. I'm I'm tempted to okay. Google him. Okay, yeah, Robertson. He was kind of a shorter guy. Yes, that that sounds about right. Okay, yes. then that would be that would be Mike. Um, he had black black hair. Yep, that's him. Yep, yep. So I uh, he he approached me at the camp. I think he knew I was local, and um, he said uh, that he you know he liked how I was playing, and I. I, I was aware of the Cherokee because I grew up in the area. And um, so he invited me out to uh, one of the open tryouts or open camps. I think it was maybe in April or May. And I had a great camp. I was feeling super confident. I don't know what it was, but I, my head was in the right place. And uh, it seemed like everything was going to go great. Varga was the coach. And uh, he seemed to really take a liking to me. And... Um, so yeah, I signed with the Cherokee, I think, and then um, there was a more formal fall tryout or like late summer camp that solidified the roster. But I felt like I was a, a part of things, and um, I was so excited to get going. And it was, it was, I don't know, one of the most exciting times of my hockey career. I was like, holy crap, I'm about to play juniors in. in That'd be pretty cool. So now, uh, let me ask you, when you uh, when you were coming in and said, uh, you know, hey, I'm playing juniors, what was the fit? What can you tell me what it was like when you went into that locker room the first time? Uh, were you nervous? Was it ex excitement? Uh, what was it like? Um, yeah, I was nervous, I think. Um, Varga, so Varga was no longer with the organization when I joined the team. Um, Ian Duncan took over. And uh, he was a re he was a super intimidating guy. Like he obviously great coach, um, great hockey career, uh, you know Toledo superstar. Um, but he he had a serious side to him that I was super intimidated by. I was a sixteen year old kid playing hockey with a bunch of men like um, Tommy Higgins, Bart Reeves, Corey Abaglin, All these guys were you know in their second to last year or last year of junior hockey and i was 16 years old uh you know hadn't had my first beer ever <laughs> so um i'm sure they probably uh yeah i don't know i just was in a completely different <laughs> it, it took a little while actually but um yeah i mean they eventually got to me uh but yeah i don't know i just i don't think heading into that into that first season um i don't know if i was really mentally ready for it it was a huge step up from my from my travel days yeah i bet it was so um 
I mean, what was the, how long, I mean, I guess, how long did it take you to make the adjustment and feel comfortable uh, playing with those guys and playing for Dunk and uh, just being, you know, like feeling like, hey, I'm there and I'm ready to go? You know, that's a great question question and it's something that i think about all the time still even though i'm 31 years old um i i don't know if i ever felt super comfortable and um and i don't think it was anyone else's fault but my own like mentally i just my confidence was gone i was i had gone from being you know one of the bigger guys on my team or in my league and being a pretty uh, I don't want to say dominant player, but like I, I got stuff done. I scored goals. I made plays and I hit and, you know, going to juniors, it was just, the game was so much faster and you had to be much more uh, intentional, intentional about what you did with the puck. And I just did not trust myself. Anytime I get the puck, I would throw it away. So um, yeah, I, th I think about this all the time because uh, it's so funny, you know, you play like beer league as a, as an adult and the game's so much slower and you're like, man, if I had these skills and this confidence 10 years ago, I'd be in the NHL now. But, um, you know, <laughs> obviously that's just not how it works. Um, but yeah, sorry to get back to your question. The guys were all great. Like, but it was, it was, it took a long time for me to settle in. And even, even at the end of the season, I'm not sure I had fully ever really like, felt 100% comfortable. Settled into a group. Yeah, I understand that. Uh, you know, what's the old saying? If ifs were fifths, we'd all be drunk. But uh, it's... <laughs> it, but um, I just... It's... I don't know. It's... It, it, I mean, and it, I mean, you got to realize something, too, here. Is that part of the reason you were recruited was because you knew... You felt, you, you know, obviously you were going to play for Coach Varga... And then when he got let go, um, and it uh, was Ian Duncan, and I mean they are about as opposite in terms of night and day as far as personality, as far as you know, um, trying to, I, I, I guess the way they run systems, the way they run their organization, uh, they're very they're very different guys, both successful guys. Uh, Chris Varga is uh, the head coach here in Toledo at St. Francis High School and has won several state championships. So, you know, you, you know, the proof is in the pudding. And, and that has helped get more high school kids locally to come and play for the Toledo Cherokee because the coaching at the high school level has gotten so much better. Not that they weren't before, but I think just the, in terms of these kids, you know, the kids would play high school and then be done. Now these kids that uh, that are playing high school, they want to after their high school careers done, they know they've got options. They can go to, you know, like uh, University of Toledo, or if they want to play the junior, go the juniors route. They've got the Cherokee. And the thing is, is that these kids, a lot of them, uh, weren't always ready to make that jump. And but because mm -hmm. there are, you know, uh, newer or I should, I guess, seasoned coaches like Varga, who who coached at the junior level. Uh, you know, you've got guys like that, Derek Stum, who won a national championship with the Cherokee back in 1998. 
Uh, he's coaching over at St. John's. Uh, you know, you've got guys with the junior experience that are coaching these kids and are building them up, making them, you know, toughening them up so that if they want to make that jump after high school to go play at the junior level, you know, they're, they're getting, you know, the team, the local kids are getting better. And I think that helps, that helps grow the game. And, but the thing is, is that again, yeah, you have to be comfortable with the, you know, you can love somebody like, and love somebody great as a person, but sometimes in a certain capacity of their lives, whether it's as a coach or even a, a, if you're an employee and your employer is someone who you respect and you're like, okay, yeah, he's a great worker. He's a great boss, but you don't always feel comfortable around him. And sometimes that happens, you know, and that doesn't mean they're bad people. It just means that it's like trying to fit a square peg in a round hole. And whether or not you're able to make that adjust, it's not always an easy thing to do. It's not, it's easy to say, but it's incredibly tough to do. Yeah. And I think, I mean, what you're saying right now is exactly kind of how I felt when, you know, when Varga, I, I don't know totally the circumstances about, you know, his, his, um, no longer being with the Cherokee, but I was kind of devastated by him getting let go. Cause I felt like I was his guy. I felt like I was a guy that he was excited about and, you know, was, was excited to coach. And then when Duncan came in, um, you know, I wasn't a guy that he picked, you know, I, I wasn't, uh, his player. And, um, I, I don't think he ever really trusted me as a player. And I, therefore I don't think I ever really trusted myself as a player. Um, and, and, you know, there were a couple of guys on the team like Nick Yost and Doug, Doug Linensmith, who were also my age. We were both 1990, we we're all 1990 birth years, 16 year old kids. But I think they were just a bit more cut out for that level of play at that time. Whereas I just, I don't think I was quite there mentally, physically, maybe, but mentally, I just think I needed a little more time to season in either high school or, or, you know, play travel still. That's understandable. I mean, hey, you know, I mean, at least, the, the, you know, I mean, and it tells me about your uh, your maturation level now, because the fact that you can look back and honestly assess it, mm-hmm. I think that says a lot about you. Uh, the fact that, you know, you can identify things and that doesn't mean that you're, you know, you're there was no use for you or something. No, that's not true at all. It just meant that you can uh, you were able to identify parts of your game that needed improvement or things in your game that you in the mental part was something you're identifying as and that's a very key part of the game of your makeup as far as a hockey player is concerned so i i mean i i tip my hat to you for being able to you know figure that out because not a lot of guys do usually what they'll do is they'll there are guys that sometimes um they'll try to you know find fault in everyone else but themselves you know and I, you know, it's like, okay, you know, I understand, you know, circumstances happen, you know, that's just life. But when you're able to have the maturity level to be able to, you know, just say, Hey, I just, there were some things I wasn't ready for. And, you know, it's like, okay, well, but the thing is, is that you're by identifying them yourself, I think that says that, you know what? Okay. So it wasn't, oh, it wasn't the greatest experience on planet earth. Bigger tragedies have happened in life. I can move on, still, you know, know that that happened, but still be able to uh, go play and have fun, uh, made some friends, some great friends along the way, 
and you know got to care for some people that I grew to be really fond of and you know just enjoy you know you know it was funny too is one of the the little you know I remember bits and pieces about guys uh little things that are like most people would consider a throwaway and wouldn't even think twice about it when it when they when they said something but for some reason I remember little bits and pieces about people here's one thing I remember about you besides the fact that you used to really cheese off a lot of guys especially like right around the whistle you know and stuff like that you're a crap disturber and uh, <laughs> but, uh, uh the, the, here's the funny part that I I remember this like it was yesterday and I don't know why there's no rhyme or reason to it whatsoever you were uh I think it was you were in uh it was at camp it was at camp and uh or no no it wasn't at camp I had you as an intermission guest for I was recording an inter for an intermission to play during the season at an, for an intermission and I was recording uh. an interview with you and we were talking about something about interests and I said so what kind of a music guy are you? You know, are you, a, you know, you like, a, you know, hip hop or rap or, or rock or what, you know, and you're like, no, I'm more of a mellow guy. I like, uh, you know, more, you know, mellow stuff that, you know, I'm, I know I'm different from a lot of the other guys. And don't ask me why <laughs> yeah. I remember that. Don't ask me why. I have no clue, Alex, but that is the honest to God's truth. I remember that, that little tidbit of information. And I, don't know why that's so funny because i think if um right now i'm making my uh i'm getting married this fall and i'm making my like a wedding reception playlist and if i had my way it would all be like sad acoustic songs <laughs> but my fiance likes hip-hop and funky stuff too much so that i don't think any i don't think i'm gonna get my way here uh, so try to compromise sorry let's just play <laughs> classic music you know you can play motown classic rock stuff like that tell her compromise yeah. uh you know they, not everyone's at least yeah yeah uh, you can catch me at uh what is it lilith fair, lilith fair this lilith. year uh but um no i'm i'm uh <laughs> so at least i was right about no, that. i yeah i i like the more obscure sad yeah no, no, no. You're you're totally, absolutely right. You nailed it on the head. That's exactly what I would have said. That is too funny. I just, I mean, I just remember that, and I'm thinking to myself, okay, this guy's different. I like this because he's different. Not, I mean, my taste in music is I'm a, I'm an old, uh, classic hard rock cement head. I liked under underground hard rock, uh, from the '70s and '80s. You know, that was my thing, and to this day, that's what I listen to a lot of. You know, but uh, I still, uh -huh. I mean, I also grew up with Motown, uh, 50s jazz. Uh, you know, there was always music in my house growing up from my folks, uh, whether it was, you know, uh, you know, uh, different types of music from different cultures uh, to, you know, of course, I'm old. So, I mean, we had disco when I was a kid and I couldn't stand it. But uh, I loved the Philadelphia sound, uh, you know, grew up with Motown. Uh, and you know, I never was a country music guy until um, we have a guy that played for the Cherokee. Uh, his name's Kyle Jennings, and he's gone on now to become a musician. He's a you know he's released a couple of albums and stuff, and he you know goes back and forth between Kalamazoo, where he's originally from, and Nashville. 
So, you know, wow. being, being a support, I try to support, you know, our guys. So, you know, and he's a t- very, very, very talented songwriter. And, uh, you know, so I, you know, I try to support our, our team, our alumni as best I can. And, uh, you know, he's one of those guys. And he, like I say, he's a country music guy. And I'm not a country music guy, but I do, you know, I, like I say, I support him 110%, listen to his music, buy his music, all that stuff. So, um, but anyway, getting back to what we were talking about, though, you know, just the little tidbits, and th- like I said, uh, that I remember. Now, do you remember, did you score when you were in Toledo? Did you ha- Did you score your first goal there? <laughs> um, I scored my one and only Cherokee goal. Oh God. Um, this is actually kind of fun. We were playing the Grand Rapids Owls and they were, I think the worst team in the league. And I don't know if they won a game and I don't know if you remember very well, but I didn't get a lot of ice time and I never got out on the power play, but we were up on these guys like seven or eight, nothing. And dunk put me on the power play. It's the end of the season. He's like, I want you to get your first goal put me on the power play. He's like, just stand in front of the net. And, uh, the puck came to me. I slotted it home on a, against a kid who was from my hometown. Uh, Mike Davis. I think he tried out for the Cherokee at some point, but he ended up on the owls and yeah, I sent it five hole and, uh, I have the puck somewhere. Um, what was the, What was his name? Chuck strange. Uh, he taped the puck up for me and yeah, that was that was a cool memory. I was I was grateful that Dunk had a sense of humor and wanted to get me on the ice for for some you know crummy power play time at the end of the game to get my first goal. Hey, and it it worked. Now, do you remember like I know you you know being that you didn't see the most amount of ice time, but I mean from time to time, do you remember who some of your line mates were at all? Uh, um, yeah, if I were playing at all, I was probably playing with, uh, what was his name? Brett Brody, uh, young guy from, from the Carolinas, number 14, I think, uh, I might've played a little bit with, uh, Doug Linden Smith earlier on, but as he, as the season went on and he got a lot stronger, he played a lot more. Um, and maybe Jay Clark, I probably played with Jay Clark a bit. Uh, you know, he was a fourth liner. He'd muck it up a bit. A lot of, a lot of fights from him on YouTube. Um. I was called... so yeah. Those are I think those are some of the guys I play with a bit. Yeah, I always called thought of him as kind of like the the Keith Magnuson or uh, for the younger generation, um, the Duncan Keith kind of, of 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 the team. He was the guy that was tough, rumble. He if you gave him any crap, he'd put it right back, throw it right back in your face. Didn't take any crap <laughs> yeah. from you, but he did. He didn't always win all his fights. But the thing is, is that he always stood up for his teammates. He always had their back, no matter what. And... Yeah, he he was a great teammate, I got to say. Um, and I don't even really remember what kind of guy he was off the ice. Um, but I just remember on the ice, he was always he'd always have your back. And I, there was the one game where I, I started this line brawl, and I didn't. I was the only person that wasn't in the line brawl that I started. <laughs> um, I, I got <laughs> I got pulled I got pulled out by the refs. Um, and this is a, this is another funny memory. Uh, it was against Chicago Force. There's this kid, Mike Santi, who I, I followed his career a little bit because he went on and played D1 at the um, at West Point. Uh, but he was he was their star rookie or whatever on the Force, and he was holding my stick, and my stick just happened to be at throat level. But he was holding it and laughing in my face, and I asked him to fight. 
I called him some names and he wouldn't let go of my stick, but he also wouldn't fight me. And he just kept laughing in my face. And, uh, I was, and that just set me off. So I cross-checked him right in the throat and, um, you know, not one of my prouder moments, but <laughs> he went down. Uh, he was on the ice hurt for a while. Everybody starts brawling. J.R. Engelbert starts tussling with their goalie. Bart Reeves is going with somebody on the ice. I don't know. Everyone was going at it except me. I And, and Mike Santi, the guy that I cross-checked, he's on the ice getting medical attention. And the refs, like, pull me aside. And I get on the bench. Um, but, yeah, so everyone's going at it. And then Jay Clark, like, I don't know. He someone had to answer for my crime, so he went and fought somebody later in the game. It was just, yeah. I, I've always respected him for kind of just standing up for his teammates and being that kind of guy. Yep. You know, and that's what you know. I appreciated about him is that you know, Jay Jay was not he he was not afraid to you know back back you up even if you started it and you were the one you were the one at fault. You know, he's st- it was like that's my teammate <laughs> and I got to back him up. You know, uh, so now, uh, who would you say probably, if you remember, uh, who would you say was probably some of the uh, the funnier guys on the team? Who are some of the goofballs that you remember? I mean, that team, there was no shortage of characters on the team. And I'm just remembering guys that I haven't thought of in years, like, um, was John Colorado John John Melendez? He was one of the older guys on the team. Um, he was a bit more stoic, but I'm just his name just kind of came back into my head. But um, Bart Reeves, he was hilarious. That guy was uh, he was always clowning with everybody. Mark Farrell, Ross Lane, all these guys were just. I sat next to Mark Farrell and Ross Lane in the locker room, and those guys were just always chuffing me and uh you know making fun of me but not not in a hurtful way like they were always just giving me giving me crap and um i always loved them for it because it just made me feel like i was part of the team yeah and and yeah and feral my gosh that guy he was uh he was a few fries short of a happy meal and that's what i loved about him you know he was he was crazy you know and what's funny is is um i think if i'm not mistaken he went on to become a registered nurse somewhere in the Detroit area. Wow, good for him. You know, I uh, he was fascinating to me. He was so enigmatic. He would reveal absolutely nothing about his personal life, but he also wouldn't shut the hell up. So um, nope. it was like it was. It, it, I just could not get a read on that guy. And he was a pretty good hockey player. Like he he played hard. He was. Uh, he was very small. He was the smallest guy in, probably in the league. Yep. But he he was he played big. He played very big. You know, we had we've had several guys like that over the years that I remember they were like five foot nothing, a hundred and nothing to quote uh, the movie Rudy. Um, but uh, they still played <laughs> like they were you know six five. You know, I mean they didn't care. Uh, you know, and and Farrell was one of them. He. Uh, because I'm, if I, I want to say, didn't he, didn't he start? Or I think he was with the Michigan Ice Dogs, and then he came to Toledo, or it was the other way. I think. Yeah. Yeah, he played for the Ice Dogs, and so did uh, Timmy Werner. I don't know if you remember Tim yeah, Werner. Uh, his t- brother t- Dan played for us too. After, yep, later. Tim and Dan were both on the team. Yep. Yep. So I remember both of those. I remember because their dad 
their dad was a uh, a state trooper in Michigan. Oh yeah, yeah. He was he was at the Monroe Post, and uh, yeah, Tim Tim and Dan are Monroe guys. Yep, and uh, they were just great guys. I always I always liked Tim and Dan both. I mean, they were both defensemen. Uh, Tim was kind of the more uh, he was probably the more I guess for lack of a better term, he was the goofy, funnier one. And Dan was more stoic and and, and, and low key, uh, a little more serious. But uh, they were both really good guys. Yes, just really good guys. I always enjoyed talking to them and stuff on the road trips and everything. Um, now, uh, who was the team that you when you played there in Toledo that you got fired up the most about? Like, I don't like these guys. I want to get them. Uh, they really ticked me off, uh, that kind of thing. Was there a team that really kind of got under your skin there when you played? <laughs> um, I mean, from my personal experience, and, you know, I obviously, uh, I think I took more stats than, uh, had puck, than the, like, than puck touches in a season. Mm -hmm. So, um, I, from, from watching, Dubuque was the team that I could not stand, but I don't know if I ever played against Dubuque. Uh, I think I was in the stands for most of those games. Um, but I'd say Peoria. I hated Peoria. And I don't, I think there was just a one or two goons on their team that I was terrified of, but I also hated and wanted to just like, I was like, I'm going to get in my first fight and it's going to be against these guys. And um, it wasn't, I didn't get in a fight in that season, but uh it's funny. Uh, now, uh, um, tell me what you remember about. Yeah. Tell me what you remember about the uh, about the Dubuque fight that broke out. There's no. It was Nick Yost with the with the body check. Yeah. With the body check that started everything. And. Uh, oh, Mick, you don't even need to remind. I mean, you can you can tell our listeners uh, all about it. Um, but I don't need any reminder. I've watched the clip dozens of times. Um, and I can, I can hear you and I can hear Toby, uh, Hafner very clearly on the call. And it, it's a great call by the way. And Toby, uh, was correct. It was absolutely gong show gong hockey. Show it, was, hockey. Uh, it was such a clean hit. Like it was, it was God, God, that I get so fired up watching that clip. Cause I, I was one of like four or five guys in the stands that game. And uh, I watched it all unfold. It was right in front of me. Yost with the cleanest hit. Um, and then it just spiraled out of control. And I was, I remember being right on the glass, screaming, like, get me out there. Because JC Gulch, he, he wasn't much of a fighter. Like, I think going, if we were to go back in time, you have to know what's coming if you're Duncan or if you're Tarsha. You have to know what's coming. I think Ryan Sell was out there, and I think J.C. Gulch was that were out there. Like both of these guys are out there; they're great players, but they are not tough. They're not huge. So yeah. yeah, it was it was just a mismatch, and then they. No, 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 exactly. So, um, watching J.C. try to like protect his teammates, but also like this guy was wailing on Siple. The guy that J.C. was tied up with was like wailing on Siple, and I was like, "Dude, get me out there! I want to just." crush these guys i don't 
Yeah, but yeah. I'm sorry. I'm getting really worked up about it because yeah, it's just so, it's so like vivid in my mind. Yeah, but the thing is, is that with Sipes, he Sipel turned around and then got busy because what happened was with him and and then especially J J R Engelbert. Yes. When Billy Worst went down there and tried to, uh, yes, tried to take him out, and Jr. ducked him, and Worst went flying. Uh, and Jr. got once he got that once he got his blocker pad off. <laughs> oh my God! I, it, the les, lesson learned there, boys and girls: do not pick a fight with our goalie, because Jr. just absolutely just jackhammered. The guys that he fought because him and Sipes, Sipes had two guys on him. Sipes had two guys on him. Yeah. And and Jar went over there and just jacked one of them and dropped him. Just flat out dropped him. And uh then Sipes got busy. And that I, is a kid. He, if you ever look at his hands, he's got the boniest knuckles I ever seen on a kid. And he he's got those heavy hands. Those hands where it don't look like much, but when they hit you, they hurt you. You know, and yes, yeah, Seipel was such a deceptive guy because he had the slimmest runner's physique. I think he was a big runner. He was extremely lean, mm-hmm. and uh, he did not look imposing at all. But he could throw. He could throw. He could throw hands. And um, just I remember watching that fight. He was he was like just losing his mind out there trying to protect his teammates. But what really surprised me, I think, most was. When that guy, Billy Hurst or whatever, went and charged JR, JR was the wrong goalie to mess with. Yeah. He was so, he, first of all, he's like 6'6. Six, six. Yep. On skates, he's probably Chara size. And he, he's, he, was a, he was a big dude and he could throw too. Yep. Uh, he, and, you know, it's funny. Now he's, uh, he went on to, he's yeah. in Colorado uh, with, uh, he was uh, a golf pro, he was uh, managing a golf course. Uh, but he got into coaching and now he's coaching the high school there in, uh, oh gosh, I can't remember the heist, the, the town, uh, begins with a B. That's all I remember. Um, uh, not, not Boulder, but, um, oh gosh, uh, Breckenridge. That's it. Breckenridge. Just about to say, is, is, is he coaching hockey in Breckenridge? Yep. yep. He's their new, he became their new head coach, uh, this past spring. They named him as the new ho- hockey coach. So, uh, yeah, so I, you know, I just, uh, can't say, you know, enough about that guy and Sipes, a local kid from wow. Miami. Uh, like I said that, Oh, I just remember. Yeah, you're right. It gets you, get your, you get your blood going, man. When you start talking about this stuff and everything, I mean, uh, and it's usually, you know, usually when I talk about it, I think about it and smile, but, uh, today, man, for some reason I'm, I'm like, you know, you know, if I, it's like Joe Coombs, coach of Dubuque. How you doing? Good yeah. to see you after all these years. Get out of here, you know, or something. But uh, yeah, but uh, it's <laughs> yeah. funny. I mean, I've had guys on here who get who have gotten like in the post of the after afterwards of doing the podcast, they would get kind of emotional because they're like, "Oh my God, I forgot all these memories are flooding back, Mick." You know, and I I, I just. You know, I can't believe, you know, it's been that long and we did this, this and this. And they would get all, you know, wow. You know, it's just, it's, it's you know, and it's like, that's because hockey is so special. Because for better or for worse, no matter what, you always can go back to that bond. You have that bond. I mean, I've talked to guys who I was really tight with when they we were both on the team. 
And then 20-whatever years later, you know, I first time I've talked to him since those days, and we pick up like right where we left off. It's like not a day went by, you know. And that's what's so great about hockey is it's the t- I would say it's mm-hmm. the tie that binds. And you know, you might not have a whole ton in common. You may have a different favorite team, whatever. But when you start talking about hockey, all of a sudden it's like boom. It's like it's just so it just it makes it so easy to talk to another person that's that that understands that the game that it you know whether they played it or whatever they were involved in it you have that you guys have that commonality and it makes it so much it you know makes it so much easier they can go, oh okay he gets it or that person gets it you know so it's easy to to talk to them you know and stuff you know regardless yeah i i think there is this um this like kinship that you develop regardless of the level that you play it at, just being involved with the game, there's this, it's unlike any other sport I've ever been a part of. And um, the relationships that I formed through the game of hockey and continue to form through the game of hockey are ones that have changed me in ways that I could never describe. And um, yeah, I, I, I get why people would be emotional after, you know, coming on this show because I, I, I think about the Cherokee days a lot and to a, a larger degree, you know, my junior hockey career and I like the way I look at it every day changes. Sometimes I think back on it fondly. Sometimes I look back on it with a little bit of regret, but ultimately it shaped me into who I am. And, um, you know, I am who I am today because of those experiences that I shared with people like you and the rest of my teammates. Yep. You know, and, and you can't you can't go back and change it. So you can only change what's ahead of you, you know. So and you can draw on those experiences to mm-hmm. motivate you to get you to where you know I don't want someone else to experience what I experienced. So I'm going to do this, this and this. You know, there's uh, there's ways you can you can make good on those things. You know, and and oh that's yeah, how I look at it. And now when you uh, after that year in Toledo. Uh, if I, I'm trying to remember here, you came to our camp and it didn't work out. Mm-hmm. Um, when, uh, where did you go to next? So after that, I, it was, that was an interesting season. I um, didn't make it out of camp. So I think um, they decided to go in a different direction. Uh, got some new younger guys on the squad and, um, I was pretty heartbroken about that. Uh, but at the same time, I knew that Duncan and I weren't on the best terms and um, thought maybe it was time for me to go. So I, my community college, I don't know, one of the students there or whatever, I don't know who the guy was. His name was Greg Pattison. And he started a community college team. It was just like a club squad. And I was, uh, I was still in high school, but I was taking one class there. So I guess I qualified to play on this club squad. And I played with them for maybe two months or so. And um, a lot of the guys had never played real hockey, like real organized hockey before. Um, and it just, I knew I still had stuff in the tank. I wanted to keep playing. So I i had some buddies of mine from AFI, that team I you know played for a few years before. 
And a lot of them had moved out to Montana to play in the NORPAC uh, for this squad called the Missoula Maulers. Okay. So it was their inaugural season. Um, this guy, Brad Swearingen, was running this, running the team. And uh, he was from the Detroit area. He knew me from when I played for the Detroit Trackers and Dan Vasquez. And uh, he some of my some of my old teammates were playing for him. So I got in touch with him, said I wanted to come play. They signed me to a, you know, a, a contract. I moved out to Montana. Um, I was 17. It was like just after Christmas. And uh, it was a similar situation to when I joined the Cherokee because Brad seemed to really like me and uh, seemed to, you know, be willing to give me an opportunity, give me some ice time, um, seemed interested in developing me as a player. And then Brad had some... I don't want to say, I don't know how to, he, some sensitive stuff happened. Brad had a really hard time. He had to leave the team. Um, and his brother, his younger brother, Tim Swearingen came in to coach. And Tim, I think was like a, a master's student who played college hockey at Wayne state. And we'll look back on and say, I don't like that guy, but I really did not like that guy. And he, uh just totally killed my confidence you know like I, if you have like leading questions you know, or questions that you want to ask feel free to interject but um that was a real that was hard I was so far away from home you know it's like 1800 miles away from my parents and my girlfriend at the time and uh did you ever think about maybe he getting, was just like you don't did you ever think about asking for a trade trade is because my grandma lived pretty close to Missoula. So I could see her from time to time. And, you know, this is a probably conversation for a different show, but um, she was kind of newer into my life at that point. And I wanted to kind of focus on that relationship. Sure. Um, she was kind of like my long lost grandma. But so I, I wanted to make the most of my time in Missoula. I love my teammates and I, I don't know why, but a trade just did not occur to me. And um, in hindsight, I probably needed a change of scenery, but the co he, uh, Tim, the coach was just effusive in his dislike for me and would always tell me, you don't belong here. You don't, you sh you're not good enough to play junior hockey. Um, no coach had ever been that, uh, I guess outspoken about <laughs> my skill level or lack thereof, but it really just felt like counterproductive, um, in the grand scheme of things in terms of building team morale and, and trying to get everybody to buy in. Wow. Yeah, I would say so. So after that season, obviously the best thing you could have done was to get the heck out of there. Um, so what, uh, what, what, I mean, I would think that a change of scenery would, was needed, not only just for you as far as getting a chance to play, but also yeah, to build your your confidence, but to also so that it doesn't kill your love for the sport. Yeah. Um, well, the season I, I I left the team a little bit early. Like they were about to go to the playoffs. I knew I was never going to get any ice time, um, and I knew that I wasn't really wanted by the coach. So I just asked to be released. And um, you know, they finished their season. I went home, finished high school uh, back in Michigan. And um, still have great relationships with some of those guys from Missoula. And um, 
I think my my favorite my favorite goal that I've ever scored was out in Missoula. I got a penalty shot against the number one team in the league, and you know, sniped uh, on my penalty shot. That was cool. It was a sold out crowd. You know, Toledo we had good crowds, but in Missoula we had like you know two thousand people at these games sometimes. It was just crazy. I'd never seen anything like that in my life before that. Yeah, that's because out in out in uh, in those areas in those towns. The, the junior team is their de facto minor league hockey team. You know, we've got, you know, we have the walleye here and, you know, the you right. know, play in the, you know, stuff. But the junior teams around here don't get the following that the minor league teams do. And then you, you move your way up, whether it's college or pro, you know. Uh, but uh, it's the idea that out west, you know, in towns like Missoula, in Butte, in uh you know wherever you know dubuque uh all those places their 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 junior team is the only team in town that's the only show in town so they get those big followings out there because they don't have a whole lot else to do and and when you spend any time in some of those towns you you kind of going okay i get it now because there's nothing else to do it's like i'd rather it's like you go there you watch paint dry and you feed the farm animal yeah. you know so you're absolutely you're you're absolutely right there was like I, I there wasn't much going on in missoula it, luckily it was a college town and there was there was uh college football which people loved but there was no other hockey team so we were that was it for for them was us which was cool now did uh, when you were out there did you get the um star treatment did they ask you like for your autograph or anything like that I did sign some autographs, um, and uh, that was cool. Yeah, I, and we did some like local appearances and things like that. Something that in, in yeah, I would have never imagined myself doing any of that stuff in a million years. But then going to Missoula, Montana, where the you know the Metro to Toledo area probably has I don't know probably closer to a million people, and I think Missoula, Montana probably has. I don't know, 60,000. I, I don't know for sure, but it's just a lot smaller. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> so, so where did you go after Missoula? Um, I actually went back to playing uh, U18 AAA hockey. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I joined this, um, this independent team called the Motor City Machine. And they also had an NAHL squad. Uh, but I played on their U18 AAA team coached by Jesse Davis. Jesse is one of the most unique people I've ever met. Uh, when he coached me, I think he was in his early 30s, but he was also such an enigma. I knew nothing about the guy um, other than that he knew how to coach and he knew how to have fun and was a he was hilarious. Um, but he took a chance on me. He, he put me on the squad. I, I was an assistant captain. Played with a bunch of guys that were ended up being really good players. Um, and it made me fall in love with the game again. We, you know, we just went to all, we were just a tournament team. We were kind of like uh, a bunch, I don't know what the term would be, but like barnstormers. We'll just come in and, and uh, you know, play a tournament and leave town, but we weren't in any, part, any particular league or anything. And the team ended up folding. Um, I think for financial reasons, it was just, it was, it was a lot of money. Um, so the team folded, and uh, then I joined the Motor City Chiefs, and I joined their um, tier three junior A team, the same league as the Cherokee. Mm -hmm. um, 
And they had a junior B team though as well. And that was coached by my old coach, Dan Vasquez. And he had been urging me to come and play for him. He said, you'll get all the ice time in the world. You'll, uh, you know, be a part of something great. And I chose to go the junior A route and my coach did not like me. And the, the more I talk about all these coaches who hated me, the more I wonder if I was the problem. But, um, I, I don't know. I, I'm sure as an 18 year old who wasn't getting ice time, I was probably whispering stuff under my breath or like complaining on the bench or moping around. I was, it's probably on me, but ultimately I didn't have a great time in motor city. And that was kind of just the end for me. I stopped playing hockey for a while after that. Um, and just, you know, just played for fun. Um, and then I went to Bowling Green State University. Uh, I was 21 when I enrolled there as a freshman and I knew they had a club team. I had some buddies on the club team. Uh, and I thought about playing, but at this point, I didn't want my parents to pay for my hockey anymore because they had, you know, sacrificed so much for for me to, to play this game. And uh, so I just decided not to play for them. I didn't play for the club team, and I chose rugby instead. I played college rugby for four years. Wow. And... <laughs> it was it was fun. BG has an incredible rugby team and being a part of that program was was incredible. And I think that is when I started to really come into my own as a person was playing on that squad. Um they won a national championship a couple years after I left and one of my buddies, the guy who started ahead of me, um in my position, he plays professional rugby now in in uh, major league rugby here in the US. Wow, that is that is awesome. Now, the thing is, though, is that um, I think, too, the other thing is that you were you went into a situation there with rugby that you were allowed to flourish and grow and do things on your terms. So I think that's probably why it uh, it worked out so well for you. I mean, because let's face it, when you're you. Every time you went into a situation in hockey, if you think about it at the junior level, it wasn't, uh, with the exception of the first year when you were with Toledo, uh, with Varga, that was where the first time where you went in there on your own terms. But mm-hmm. then there, there, there was the little U-turn when uh, Dunk came in. And then, you know, the U-turn the next season. And you like, okay, you try to, uh, catch on with a, a team out in Montana. Okay. That's not, that's not going there on your own terms of, Hey, I tried out, uh, you know, I was recruited by this coach. I was recruited this, that, and the other thing. And it didn't go that route. And so you, uh, you do that. And then the same thing happens with, uh, with uh, motor city. So, I mean, when you're going from this to that, to this, to that, to this, and, you know, the one team in between folds. Yeah, that's going to be a real confident mm-hmm. booster. Um, hello. And so when you go <laughs> to, so you go to Bowling Green and you decide to really make a U-turn, but you made it, you made that decision. It wasn't somebody making the mm-hmm. decision for you. You got to put on your big boy pants and make a, a decision that was, uh, that was going to be best for you. And you succeeded and you flourished. And that was, that allowed you to taste success and not only taste success, but 
do it on your terms. And that's what made Alex Wall feel good about himself. And as, as well, you should. You should be proud of that. Um, now, you know, what, uh, I mean, what got you to where you're now coaching? I mean, where did you develop that love of the game again? So I, I did play one season of club hockey for BG. It was my senior year. I was 25. I was by far the oldest guy on the, on the squad. And, um, yeah, I, I mean, I just could not hang with those guys. They were all like 20, 21, 22, love to party. And I was at that point, I was like, dude, I just want to be married and having a real job. <laughs> not actually, but, you know, just yeah, like, let me get on with my life. But I, I wanted to play one more season of competitive hockey. And so I joined in the second semester at BG and I had fun. I didn't, you know, I was old and out of shape. And, uh, you know, I was not effective out there. I don't think I even got a point. Maybe got one assist in like ten games, but um, I wore old twenty six uh, for old times' sake. Um, for you know, as a throwback to the Cherokee days, um, and Jed Ortmeyer from University of Michigan, favorite player at, back in the day. But um, yeah, I don't know. That kind of got me back into hockey. I I also played a lot of like pickup and uh, adult league hockey at BG at the rink there. I worked at the rink for four years. And so just being around the game, being around the varsity team as an employee, all that stuff really got me excited about the game again. And um, when you're, when you're so close to the game, but maybe not right in it, it, it makes it, I think, easier to love. So I had this bird's eye view of this great D1 program I was also working for the walleye for a while. I worked for the Toledo walleye and the mud hens for a couple seasons while I was in school, um, in the control room doing TV and, uh, you know, scoreboard stuff. And so just all these experiences helped me fall in love with the game again. And so when I moved to New York city, um, I started playing in the league here, uh, made a ton of really close friends through that. And eventually, I found this organization called Ice Hockey in Harlem. And Ice Hockey in Harlem's whole mission is to get kids on the ice who might not normally have um, exposure or, or accessibility otherwise. So, you know, we're getting all kinds of kids from Harlem who um, all different uh, races and backgrounds and um, socioeconomic statuses. And it's, it's such an incredible program because it, has all these kids falling in love with hockey that otherwise would never see it or never touch ice. And so hockey, even though it has probably shortened my life by 10 or 20 years <laughs> in a lot of ways, um, has also given me so much and I've really wanted to give back. So that's why I joined this organization and I coached two seasons. Now I, I coached, um, mini mites. And then this past season I coached some squirt kids. Are you looking to maybe eventually move up the chain and try to uh, coach older guys? Yeah. Um, you know, in, in New York City, it's a little tough. Uh, there's, o there's only really one rink that's close to me. And um, I just, I don't really want to be a part of it here. But my goal is to, I think my fiance and I are going to move out of the city at some point in the near future. And there are a lot of great hockey programs in upstate New York and in uh 
in New Jersey, just over the river. So I, I really want to get involved with the local program um, once we move out of the city. And, you know, hopefully skill development isn't really my forte, but I think knowing the game and coaching kids and building their confidence, you know, 10 to 14 year old kids, I think I'll really, that's, that's my wheelhouse for sure. Wow. You know, and see the cool part is, is that you can go to that, that third and fourth liner and say, I was where you were at. And you can, you can give them that, that, that confidence, that, that boost, you know, give them a, give them a speech to let them know that, Hey, I've been there and I can, if, if I can, you know, I survived as a, and you can at least give him say, Hey, I know what you need to do so that you can get beyond this and to move up. You know, you can, you can, you can tell them what it is, what it was like and let them know that, you know, Hey, you, you can, you can finish. It ain't how you start. It's how you finish. So, you know, it's like, that's what's most important and, you know, get them, build these kids up, you know, you can coach them up, but you got to, sometimes you gotta, you gotta just love them up and build them up, you know? Yeah. And and that's the thing. I don't know that I ever really had that. I had a, I've had some amazing coaches who have done amazing things in their playing career and coaching career, but I, I don't think I ever really had any single person really pull me aside and say, Hey, I see your work in your bag off, but this is what I'm seeing. And this is what you need to be doing. Um, and you're so close. Like, I don't know, maybe I wasn't close though. Maybe I was a bad player. It doesn't matter now, but at the time, at the time, I think I needed that. I needed love. Sure. You know, and some different players need different things. So, you know, it isn't all, just X's and O's for some kids. It's, uh, you need that what's in your, you know, you need to get in their head a little bit and tweak what's in there and maybe get the vacuum cleaner and kind of get some of the crap that's in there out of there and uh, let them just, and let, and allow them to, to flourish. And, and that's why, honestly, I think some of your most successful coaches aren't necessarily guys who were all-star studs in, in the NHL or played in, different uh you know they were in this league and that league and played whatever it's like a lot of these guys are guys who weren't the the top line guy they weren't the all-star yeah you know they were just guys who they got a good view from the bench or in the stands and they got to see things so now that that you know now that they coach you know they remember that stuff and they know what it's like so that's what i'm saying this is uh I guess the best way you can, uh, I wouldn't say revenge, but, you know, like I said, you, you have that experience to help these, these kids, these border borderline kids that aren't necessarily going to light it up in the NHL, but they still, it doesn't mean that they're not going to contribute and you've got a chance to impact those kids to be able to go, move on to where they can contribute, whether it's at a higher level of hockey or at a higher level of life. And that's, that's to me, that's your role. You know, that's something that you can have a direct impact on. And that is something that you will be able to, I think, impact a lot of kids for years to come if you want to. I I think that's uh, a beautiful way to approach hockey and life. And, um, you know, I, I definitely want to try to, to implement that in, in my techniques of coaching going forward absolutely well before we wind her up i want to ask you a couple of things here um 
I usually uh, finish up with this stuff here with uh, with these questions. And that is, I mean, we talked earlier about who is big uh, impact and role models and stuff for you on the, uh, or, you know, growing with hockey. But uh, how about away from the game? Who are some of the people that really impacted you and uh, really meant a lot to you in the course of your life? Oh, wow. Um, I mean, I think this is probably cliche, but it has to be said. My entire family, my, my both of my parents, uh, blue-collar people, didn't have a lot of money. And hockey is just a prohibitively expensive sport. So they sacrificed everything to get me to the rink, to pay the ice bills. Kind of childhood their friends did because my parents were focused on my sports. And um, so I just all of them, they gave so much to me and were so influential on and off the ice. And I know you're talking about away from the game, but I just really hey, however you're would be it, you go. remiss. And then otherwise, I don't know, they're just in terms of people in my in my life, in my circle. I had a lot of great teachers. I had a lot of great professors. Um, they, my rugby community at BG, Roger Mazzarella, he is the Mr. Maz, as a lot of people call him. He was a high school or middle school teacher in Bowling Green for a long time, and he ran the program from, from when it started until currently. Um, he's such a unique guy, but he sees the best in everybody. And he's somebody who saw me as, a, as like a locker room or a character type player and leveraged that and helped get the most out of me by focusing on what I was good at, which was like just being a good supporting cast member instead of trying to be the Wayne Gretzky of the, of the rugby club. And I think once I found my niche as like the locker room guy, I really think I thrived. And I, I think that's helped me in my life outside of sports as well. Uh, looking at you, I'd say 100% definitely because you have, <laughs> and you have, Wally, I remember, when you were a kid, you know, I mean, I, I can just see the growth in you and yeah, maybe, you know, some people, they get motivated by, you know, I was this, I was that, I was so great. Other guys, they get motivated by disappointment. Uh, when they've had the things didn't always go their way. They use that as motivation to better themselves and then to better the people around them. And um, I'll, I'll take those guys, 10 times a day, you know, those guys that understand what real life is and then use it instead of sitting there saying, well, poor me, poor me, poor me. They instead you turn around and use it to motivate themselves to do better so that they don't, you know, so that they don't have to have people, you know, around them feel that way that that they can help build them up Mm -hmm. and stuff. And uh, your, your, your upside is so big. So, you know, I just think that, you know, you're doing a great job now and, uh, you know, congratulations on the, uh, soon to be marriage. Um, the only question I have is, do you know this yet? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> now, uh, yeah, we haven't moved in together and I haven't gotten her ring or met her yet, but okay. she, she'll find out eventually. When she, come, when, she, when she shows up at your door in the mail. Okay. I get it. Anyway. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, my name is Svetlana, yes. Uh, anyway. Uh, <laughs> anyway, uh, now, uh, last, the, the last question, two, last two questions I have. And they're kind of tied together. They're kind of the same thing, but slightly different. And the first one is, what would the Alex Wall of today say to that 16 and 17-year-old Alex Wall? What advice would you give him? Um, uh, well, <laughs> lift weights. Um, I didn't, I was lazy in the gym. I think that was another part of what kind of derailed my hockey career. So, uh, do try to outwork your teammates in the gym and it'll help you off the ice or on the ice. Um, but ultimately play hockey because you, you, because it's fun. Don't play it because you think it'll make your parents happy. <clears throat> excuse me, or because you think you're going to go to the NHL or whatever. Do what you love and everything else is going to work out. And I, I wish that, <clears throat> excuse me, I wish that I would have focused more on what made me happy about hockey than what I thought hockey could do for me later on. And if I would have done that, I think hockey would have been a lot more fun. And I might have gone further in the sport if I focused on having fun but ultimately i have no regrets about the way things turned out and i'm really happy with where i'm at in my life and hockey is fun again it just took a while to get back to that place hey. as long as you got there that's all that counts you know you got there and they don't ask uh you know as far as uh, it, you know <laughs> how, how how long did it take you no it's are you there okay good that's that's the key uh, now, the last thing I, I always end these this with is, what would you like to say to Cherokee Nation? Because alumni listen, uh, alumni coaches, fans are really big, kids, current members of the team, they all listen to this stuff. Uh, why? I don't know, but <laughs> it ain't me. It's it's obviously the guys that they, they want to hear from that went through this. Uh, you know, and uh, I just want to give you the opportunity, like I do everyone else, to be able to address Cherokee Nation. Anything you got to say? Yeah, absolutely. I think um, think what I loved about the club was that it was like the fabric of the team was made up by incredible people. Uh, all my teammates were great. The coaches were great. Um, you know, maybe, maybe I didn't fit in with the group as much as some of the other guys did, uh, but it's still a great group of people. And I think representing a city like Toledo is so meaningful because it's, it's just such a hardworking blue collar city that I was so proud to put on that Toledo Jersey every weekend. And, um, I hope that the guys that play for the club now know that they are a part of a huge hockey lineage in a crazy hockey city. I mean, it's it's crazy to think about how far back Toledo hockey goes in whatever iteration you think of from the Gold Diggers, probably even before that. Oh yeah, the Storm, Walleye, Hornets, yeah. So Blades, yeah, Mercury's. So so much hockey history, and just to be a part of that is really special. And I, you know, I'm sure that's not lost on the on the current group of players, but. Um, you know, I, I hope they know how lucky they are to, to represent that club and that city every day. Well, you know what? It, they, I, I'm sure, I hope they are too. But uh, it's always good to know that there's alumni out there 
that are good people too. And I'm talking to one right now. So, uh, Alex, I can't thank you enough for doing this, man. This has been fun. I've really enjoyed this a lot. And, uh, I, uh, like I said, the best of luck with all the future endeavors and stuff. And, uh, don't be a stranger, man. To, uh, Toledo can always use a good visitor to come and hang out over here. Now I know you're over there in big, in the big apple, but, uh, when when and especially when we have the reunion that's the thing we're going to have a reunion and, and yeah there'll probably be an alumni game or something but the big thing for me is we're is i want us to get a bunch of us from different eras doesn't matter uh just to go get together and go watch a cherokee game and sit there have a couple of uh, diet dr peppers and just laugh ourselves silly while, uh, you know talking about the old days. oh man that's uh, I I would love to be a part of that, and if um if that needs some uh if you need some help with that, you know where to find me, and we can we can talk offline about that. But I would love to be a part of that. Well, you're in. Don't worry, you're in, buddy. So, <laughs> you don't have to. You have to think twice about that one. But uh, Alex, I thank you so much for this, and uh, again, we'll we'll keep in touch. So thanks, bud, and we'll talk to you again. Thanks, Mick. Uh, it's great chatting with you, and I, I hope we can, do, you know, do something like this again soon. Thanks so much for having yeah, me on. You bet. That's episode ninety-two of the Cherokee Rewind. Don't forget, just subscribe at whatever platform you use, whether it's iHeart, uh, Spotify, Google, Amazon, whatever podcasts that you consume your uh, your listening to. You just put in Cherokee Rewind, hit the subscribe button, and every time a new episode drops, it'll notify you. So for Alex Wool, I am Mick saying thanks a lot, and we'll catch you next time right here on the Cherokee Rewind.